I want to begin this morning by saying a few things about this city in which we live. Nashville is a wonderful place to live and to work. It is a city with an incredible history. It is a city that is on the rise in many ways. It's a city that welcomes about 100 new residents almost every single day. There are cranes all over this town. If you look across downtown and midtown, you can, you can count them. Buildings are being built. People are moving here from all over, from the east and from the west, the north and the south, you name it. And what happened this past week with the resignation of a mayor is fairly unprecedented and it's very sad in many ways. But Nashville is going to be okay because the people here are great. The spirit here is strong. And it's the people and the spirit of Nashville that will continue to make this city what it is and to move this city forward. We should never find joy in the downfall of anybody. When leaders fail, there are people who find joy in that. And I can tell you as a leader, there are people who find joy when you fail. But I'd like to take just a moment this morning and encourage you to pray for Nashville to pray for Megan Berry, to pray for David Briley and for all the other leaders that are stepping in to, to move Nashville forward. And I'm convinced that, that this town will remain strong because of the spirit of the people. Nashville will keep moving forward because it has incredible momentum. And I just felt the need to say that and to encourage you to do that as we begin this morning. We're in the middle of a Lenten sermon series called Unafraid. And let me start with a few honest questions for you. Are there ever times in your life when you feel completely overwhelmed? When you have so much going on and so much to do that you simply don't know where to begin? Are there ever times in your life when things seem so crazy and so out of control that you find yourself simply trying to hold on and make it through the day? Are there times in your life when you have been hit, maybe even blindsided by a situation, and you can't seem to get your footing back? If you are human, and if you're honest this morning, then you probably answered yes to those questions. United Methodist pastor Martin Thielen tells an interesting story about a couple named Steve and Lisa in a book that he published a few years ago. Steve and Lisa fell in love when they were in graduate school, getting their MBAs. They were young, they were sharp, they were determined to be successful and to make a lot of money in business. After finishing business school, they got married and they both accepted high-paying corporate jobs in a large city. After a few years, they were making lots of money together, despite the fact that they were working 70 or 80 hours a week. They bought a large house in a trendy part of the city. Between the two of them, they owned four cars. They bought a cabin in the mountains about an hour away. They purchased a boat. Things seemed to be going pretty well for Steve and Lisa. They were living their dream, but they were approaching the age of 40 and they thought it was about time to start a family. So they decided they wanted to have a child, and they did. About a year later, they had a son named Nathan. 
Stephen and Lisa now had it all. They had their youth. They had success. They had money. They had a beautiful baby. Because both of them worked so much, they didn't get to see Nathan very much. He was in daycare all day, and they had a nanny who took care of him in the evenings. Because they worked so much, they really didn't get to spend much time together as a couple, and they didn't have time for friends or community affairs or time to join a church. When Nathan turned one, Steve and Lisa hit a crisis point in their lives, and they wondered, is this all that there is? Is this all that life is about? Do we really want to keep putting endless hours into work in order to make more money so we can buy more stuff? They soon realized that climbing the corporate ladder of success and making lots of money and buying lots of things was not what life was all about. So they decided to make some major changes. They both resigned their jobs on the same day. Steve took a 40-hour job managing a small business and paid less than half of his corporate salary. Lisa took a part-time job as a business consultant working two days a week and only making 20% of her previous income. They sold their huge house in the trendy neighborhood and they purchased a modest home in a different neighborhood. They sold their cabin, their boat, and two of their four cars. Although their new life was dramatically different, for Steve and Lisa, less actually equaled more. They now had time for each other, for their son, for their friends. They also became involved in the community and they joined a church, something they never had time to do before. Their income was lower, but life was far richer. Years later, when Nathan, their son, turned seven, his second grade teacher gave the class a unique assignment. She told every student to write a brief essay and to draw a picture of the perfect life. And Nathan drew a picture of his modest house, his mom, his dad, his dog, and himself. And next to that, he drew a checkerboard of the faces that represented all of his friends. And next to that, he drew a picture of his church with a steeple. And this is what he wrote. A perfect life for me is the life that I'm in right now. I have a lot of friends and a good family and a good church. I don't need a perfect life. I already have a perfect life. And when his mom picked up the piece of paper, tears of joy started to flow down her face and she knew that they had made the right decisions. And unlike many other people, Steve and Lisa had figured out what truly matters in life early on, fortunately before it was too late. As Christians, the primary way that we discern God's will for our lives is through our ongoing relationship with Christ. That's what being a Christian is all about, having a relationship with Christ that transforms you, that challenges you, that doesn't leave you the same. And the truth is, we will spend our entire lives trying to discover who Christ is and what he's calling us to do. This is not just something that we figure out overnight. This is a process that takes years, decades, a lifetime. Later in that same book where I read that story, Martin Thielen makes the point that Jesus' greatest priority in life is radically different from what our culture teaches. All the things that we seem to worry about, houses, stocks, physical health, beauty, social status, career success, 
are minor issues according to Jesus. For Jesus, the bottom line is loving God and loving neighbor. Loving God and loving neighbor. The best way that we get to know Jesus is by reading the gospel accounts of his life, reading his parables, reading his teachings, reading about the way that he healed, he loved, he forgave, he interacted with people of his day, even the outcasts, the people that nobody wanted anything to do with. In Matthew 14, right after the feeding of the 5,000, people are amazed at what has just happened, and Jesus tells his disciples to go get into the boat and to go to the other side of the sea, and he went up to the mountain to pray alone. Notice how often in the Gospels, Jesus goes up to the mountain to be by himself and to pray and to reflect. It happens often. And Matthew tells us that it becomes evening time and the boat was far from the land and it was being battered and tossed around by the waves and the winds. And suddenly, Jesus comes walking towards the disciples on the sea. And they're terrified because they thought it was a ghost. But Jesus tells them, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter responds by saying, Lord, if it's you, then command me to get out of the boat so that I too can come and walk on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk towards Jesus. But when he notices the strong winds, he becomes frightened and he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out and saves him and says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat said, Truly, this is the Son of God. Now, many people have a hard time with this text because they cannot accept the fact that Jesus, much less Peter, actually walked on water. And they miss the meaning because they're so busy trying to figure out exactly what happened and exactly how it happened. Some biblical scholars have said that, that the disciples' boat was driven across the Sea of Galilee by a strong wind all the way up into the northern shore, which is a shallow part of the Sea of Galilee. So when Jesus came walking down the hillside in the moonlight, he looked like a ghost walking on the water. Or Jesus may have walked on the water. But whichever interpretation you want to accept, the basic message of this story in Matthew's gospel remains the same. And I'll share three takeaways this morning. The first one is that Jesus comes to his disciples and still to us today in our time of greatest need. Last Sunday, we talked about the storms of life. And when the storms of life blow, when we're getting tossed around and beat up by our situation, when we are lost and discouraged and frustrated, Jesus is there to help. Jesus is there to comfort us, and he will not leave us alone. He will not leave us by ourselves. You know, there are many times in life when we are up against it, when things aren't going our way, when we are scared, overwhelmed, when we feel like we simply can't go on. These are the times of life that Christ comes into our lives, reminding us to not fear, calming our storms, and giving us the serenity, the peace, and the reassurance that we need. This is not just an account of something that happened on the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago. 
It's a message of what is true in our lives today. When we need Christ in our lives, he is there. When we are terrified and afraid, he is there. When we feel like things are spinning out of control, he is there to comfort us, to reassure us, to give us hope, to give us encouragement, to give us peace. The second message, just like Peter, I think Jesus is commanding us to get out of our boats. I realized last week that I shared this quote uh, by an evangelical minister who said, Jesus will calm the storms of life. All we have to do is stay in our boat. Pretty good quote. Well, in this passage, he's calling Peter out of the boat. And if we're honest, we would all admit that we all like our boats. We're comfortable in our boats. Things are familiar in our boats. Our boats might be things like security, familiarity, just being a part of the in crowd. Our boat might be fear in general, and so many of us are tempted to live our lives every day in fear and worry and anxiety. There are people who, for whatever reason, live their lives every day just scared to death, worried. And some of these folks are fearful for good reasons. They may not know where their next meal is going to come from. They may not know how they're going to feed their children, how they're going to pay their rent. Some people in our world have to choose between paying their rent and feeding their children, a decision that most of us will not have to make. Some have to choose between paying their rent and paying for health care. There's not enough money to do both. Some people in our world are working two jobs and they still can't make ends meet. And there are people in this world and in this community that need our help, that need our support. It's why we do the ministries here that we do. But then there are others who have all their basic needs covered, but still they worry their lives away. Day after day, for whatever reason, and that's no way to live. They have a fear of illness. They have a fear of death. They have a fear of being abandoned. They have a fear of, of something terrible happening to their kids, a fear of losing their job, fear of the stock market going down. But Christ comes to us in these situations and he gives us courage. And I think that sometimes Christ is calling us out of our boat, out of our comfort zone to go and do things that we haven't done before. And we can face the storms of life outside of the boat with Christ's help. The third takeaway for me from this passage is that Peter gets out of the boat and he seems to be doing okay. He seems to be walking on the water towards Jesus. But then he starts to sink when he takes his eyes off Christ. Peter starts to sink when he stops focusing on Jesus and he starts focusing on the winds and the waves that are all around him. Peter becomes overwhelmed by the storm that is all around him and he starts to doubt. And this is so true for us as well. If we take our eyes off Christ and if we allow the storms around us to overwhelm us and we too will begin to sink as Christians, you know, we all have the potential to sink into a sea of all kinds of things. A sea of fear. A sea of addiction. A sea of materialism. 
a sea of jealousy and resentment, a sea of selfishness, a sea of competition. We will sink into a sea of technology if we allow our gadgets to control our lives. We will sink into a sea of social status where all we care about is being around the right people and at the right parties. We'll sink into a sea of exclusivity where we only associate with certain types of people. We will sink into a sea of bitterness when we fail to forgive those who have hurt us or who have done us wrong. We will sink into a sea of boredom because we'll lose our meaning in life and we will sink into a sea of spiritual emptiness because we forget what life is all about. And I like what Rick Warren once said. He said, spiritual emptiness is a universal disease. These are some of the dangers of what happens when we take our eyes off Christ and we start focusing on the waves and the winds and the storms that are all around us. And the storms will always be there. The storms have always been there. It's just a matter of how we deal with them, how we approach them. If we can remain focused on Christ, then we will live our lives in a way that is trusting and compassionate, forgiving, hopeful, grateful, dedicated to serving others, loving, kind, hospitable, unselfish, patient, generous, and full of grace and full of mercy. If we can keep our eyes on Christ and we will put others first and we will rejoice when others do well and we will stop keeping a record of wrongs and we will treat everybody the same regardless of who they are or what they have. As Christians, Christ is our lens to God. The best way we know God is by knowing Christ and that relationship doesn't stay the same. It's never mastered. It's constantly changing and growing and evolving Jesus said, those who've seen me have seen the Father. But yet our relationship with Christ at 20 is different from 40, and 40 is different from 55, and 55 is different from 80. And so if we can keep our eyes on Christ, then the storms of life will still be going on. They'll still be present, but they won't prevail. And even more importantly, we won't have to live in fear because we'll know that we don't face them alone. 